It's a very dark chapter. In fact, one of the um, one of the commentators that I read on this, and no one can really, no one's really working with this one well. So I'm thinking, well, that'll be fun. Uh, but one of the commentators that I read said this is probably the darkest chapter in the whole book. So. Well, nothing's working for him, though, like in chapter 6. I want to back up to, to back to chapter 5 in a bit, but, but to look at that, it, 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 you know, if a man begets 100 children, I'm reading out of the New King James, verse 3, if a man begets 100 children, lives many years, and the days of his years are many, and his soul is not satisfied with goodness, which I want to talk about in, in a bit, and indeed he has no burial, uh, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. So, you know, what do you do with that? Um, I think that's what he's partly dealing with. The ESV says evil. Mary, do you have the um, New American Standard? Verse verse 1 of chapter 6. NIV says evil. Holman Christian Standard says tragedy. It's one of those words in the Hebrew that can be translated a little differently. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my first. Go ahead. You can't enjoy them. Yeah. Notice it says, and you're, you, keep, you keep pushing me ahead, but that's okay. Um, God gives a person riches, wealth, honor, verse 2, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself, but God does not allow him to enjoy them. Yep. Tragedy, evil. There was another word in here, but I... Um, Affliction. What translation do you have? Okay. Okay. Um, So he's talking about a disappointment related to possessions and the disappointment that people can experience. Um, And he was also undergirding in this passage that satisfaction is not guaranteed. which is contrary to the typical Christian narrative that we hear about. This stuff doesn't preach well on Sunday. Um, This is the kind of stuff that people leave over if you preach on Sunday. What I've noticed about people who have a lot of money it's the same that I've noticed about people who don't have hardly any money, is that essentially the problems are the same. The context is just different. That's just my observation, but I didn't see that written here anywhere. I'm kidding. Clinical depression, that's interesting that you brought that up because here's the big question that I don't have an answer for. So if you have an answer for it, it's not wrong. How's that? 
is he writing about depression or is he writing from depression? Or both? Could be both. Usually if you write from it, you're writing about it, right? Or is he just making a candid observation? Turn to chapter 3. Someone read verse 1. So is it possible that this end, and remember the chapters and the verses are not divinely inspired. At least I don't think they are. They're there for us to find the text. So is it possible that the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6 is a commentary on verse 1 of chapter 3? Does that make sense? And so he's dealing with this. And, and the thing is about what he's writing here is we're left in the dark. Literally. It's enough information for you to say, wow, but you can't draw conclusions. Why would God give him these gifts and then not allow him to enjoy them? It could. That's a possibility. Again, that's probable. He's probably writing this at the end of his life. So it's, you have it's a possibility of two different people responding to to the to their increase in two different ways. That's possible. Again. With wisdom literature, you almost have to fill in some of the blanks yourself. So you're not wrong, and you're not right. Or you might be right. How's that? But that's one way to look at it. It, to me, and which is a little different than going back to verse 1 of chapter 3, for where everything there is a season. And, and there... There is no guarantee of satisfaction. When we first moved here, I thought of this this afternoon. We first moved here, we, we met this family. They've since moved to Grants Pass. And they had a little boy, and his he named himself Super Kevin David, right? So we kind of watched Super Kevin David grow up, and eventually he wasn't Super Kevin David anymore. He was just Kevin, first little Kevin, then Kevin. Anyway, he... Uh, he He's in his 20s now. He started a business with his dad. They're, they're uh, some small trucking firm. And uh, apparently he was hauling a load of something on a big trailer, going over some pass, and it was snowy, and he jackknifed it. And, and uh, he was fine. He didn't get hurt, but he was really obviously upset, first accident. So, and his dad and I are talking about this through a text, Right. So I couldn't resist, and I texted back to him, boy, I bet, sure, I bet he sure didn't feel like Super Kevin David after that happened. And his dad just laughed. You know, he knew I was kidding. You know, and, and so it's kind of funny how you, these personas that you take on in your youth, this is kind of an example here. You take on these personas, not only in your youth, but as you go through your life and how things happen and things change those personas. They change those perspectives. 
And maybe one is appreciative, maybe one is not, but does, the, does our goodness guarantee the blessing of God? No, it doesn't. Why do bad things happen to good people? They just do. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it, it is, it's part of our sanctification process. You said it grows us up to be more like him. Yes, it does. Um, and we're not told why God withheld. Or if, in fact, I mean, how literal do you re- Remember, this is wisdom literature. A lot of this is very metaphoric. It's very much an allegory. Now, if you read it, if you try to read it very black and white, wrote, you, you miss a lot, right? And you want to end up at the end of the book going, see, it says here that everything's going to be fine. Well, yes, when we, when we die and we are in heaven and we are with the Lord for eternity, yes, everything will be good. But, but there are no guarantees that that's going to happen. And, and I think... I think this is more of a, almost like a story and, or little sound bites. Remember, they didn't have video back then, right? So sound bites, if you will, of possibilities of life to cause us to reflect because I have met so many people that when they hit calamity, their faith just goes out the window. And I think even in, in smaller snapshots of our own personal struggles day in, day out, right? We all have them. And, uh, you know, what was it, yesterday? Did it snow? It was Monday. When did it snow? I think it snowed on Monday, too. Yeah. So I go out and shovel everything, and everything looks good. And then within five minutes, I'm looking out the window, and it's coming down as heavy as I've seen it come down. Uh, so I had to do it again, right? You know, these, yeah, these type of things that happen, because I'm from Tahoe, so I like a really nice, clean, you know, or else you end up with five feet, and you get out in April, you know. Um, and, and so those, those little things that, that when they happen, what, what, what do they do? I would say to your faith, that is your belief system, but how does your faith and your belief system shape your countenance? And how does your countenance shape your belief system? These are some of the things that I think this passage is attempting to draw out from us and exposing us in the writing to what uh, John of the Cross would later refer to as the dark night of the soul. Because, yes, he may not have been grateful. That's a valid interpretation. I'm not going to argue with that. I just, all I'm saying is that there are other ones. And, and we, we, because we're not given enough information, um, often what we will do is we will read in what we have observed. Does that make sense? We read into these passages things that, that we have observed, either in ourselves. I'm not trying to say you're not grateful, uh, uh, Clay. Either, either in ourselves or we've observed it from other people. And, and so 
there could have been a famine, there could have been a war, there could have been a bad business venture, there, there, he could have uh, gotten injured. Uh, we don't know why he, he um, there it is, uh, the tragedy. Uh, Holman, Christian Standard, calls this a tragedy rather than an evil. Tragedy which I've seen under the sun, and it is common among men. a man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor. So that's, that's, he, God is really blessed so that he lacks nothing for himself and all that he desires. So think about Job. See if I can pull it out real fast. You know the story of Job, right? Okay. What did the Bible say about Job? Sorry, I'm find it real fast. Blameless and upright. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Job is blameless and upright. That means righteous. He's without fault. Now, granted, he was human, so he, he was tainted with original sin, but but he had a, a, a vibrant relationship with God. So what does God do? He allows Satan to take everything. And that's possible what we're seeing here. Now, there are different views on the book of Job. Some believe it's one of the earliest books in the Bible that was written. And that Job may have been a contemporary of Abraham. We don't know. All right. Uh, he might not have even been Jewish. Because Jews are descendants of whom? Abraham. Right? Um, so, so that he lacks nothing for himself, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner, now, or a stranger, that's another way to interpret it, a stranger, um, consumes it. This is tragedy. This is vanity. And it's an evil affliction or a tragic affliction or a miscarriage as uh, I have in my margin. What's that? Severe affliction. ESV says what at the very end of uh, verse 2? Evil, grievous, a grievous evil. Okay. Um, What's interesting about Job was, does God ever explain to Job why he allowed it to happen? No. Never does. <laughs> he does that too. Yeah, and so you have... You have you have more than one person in the Bible who is so discouraged of life that they either wanted to die or wish they never had been born. Uh, Moses was one of those. Numbers 11, 15. Elijah was one of those. When he ran from Jezebel and went back to Mount Horeb, which is another name for what mountain? Sinai. Okay, goes all the way back to Sinai. Uh, Job was that way, Verse uh, chapter 3. Jeremiah was that way. Um, and Jonah. Of course, Jonah's in the belly of the well, and he, you know, wish he'd never been born. And I don't know what was worse for Jonah, 
was being in the belly of the fish, the whale, whatever, where you want, whichever you want to call it, being in the belly of the of the fish, or preaching to Nineveh and actually watching them repent, because he didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want to see them repent, and uh, that was why he ran because he knew that God would be merciful to them. And um, Paul despaired of life. Second Corinthians chapter uh, one talks about this. So. So here you have a man who gets everything he basically, you, you would think, okay, I'm presupposing in this, right? You would think that he's getting everything he wants in life, but then he's not allowed to enjoy it. And so that's why he calls this a vanity and an evil affliction or an evil miscarriage or even referring, uh, the context here in the Hebrew refers to this idea of a miscarriage of justice on the man whom God has blessed. But then again, it, it was Job who said what? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, um, all this acquisition of stuff, but without any kind of satisfaction. And the stranger gets to partake of it. Although we don't know who the stranger is or the foreigner. You would think a foreigner in Jewish context and Jewish writing refers to what? To whom? A Gentile. The Goyim. So that that's possible what it's referring to. And remember... They didn't like Gentiles. And so that maybe there, again, this is, I have a little bit different view on inspiration of Scripture, but maybe this is some of that dislike cutting through. Your mileage may vary on that one. Um, so then it, it goes on in verse 3. If a man begets 100 children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many. And his soul is not satisfied with goodness or indeed he has no burial. That's for you. Um, I, I, uh, I say that a, a stillborn is better than he. For it, now the word it, I had to look it up because I thought it was weird that it was talking about a person, but it uses the word it. It's a pronoun in the masculine. I don't know why they're translating it yet. Usually a, pro, a, a masculine pronoun is translated what? His or he, right? Well, we got an it. Um, it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and his name is covered in darkness. Though it has not seen the sun or known anything, this has more rest than that man. Than what man? The man who was given everything by God but then not able to enjoy it. One real quick Thing, this idea of the man gives it, God gives him everything but does not allow him to enjoy it. it. It's not really clear, but this could reflect on this idea of God's sovereignty. Probably does reflect on God's sovereignty. And again, it could be with the same framework as with Job. Satan comes before God and God says to him what? Have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and, and righteous. And 
Satan wants a piece of him, and God grants it. And so that could be the framework of what um, verse 2 is talking about. Okay, so it says, even if he lives a thousand years twice, so that's 2,000 years, but has not seen goodness, do not all go to one place. So he's comparing someone, it's hyperbole, right? Huge hyperbole. Uh, do you know of anybody who's lived 2,000 years? So I think Methuselah, I didn't look it up. It, the, the thought came to me that I think it was 969 years that he was the, the oldest living person that we have recorded in the scriptures. Um, so, so he's definitely using hyperbole here, but what he's saying is that He's comparing a stillborn child who never sees the light of day. And what's interesting is that in, in, in Hebrew culture, um, when a, back in those days, when a child was born, a stillborn child, they wouldn't even name the child. They wanted to kind of like, almost like pretend it didn't happen or give them a means of forgetting it. Um, and so he's saying here that this guy who gets all this stuff but can't enjoy it, doesn't get to enjoy it, somebody else enjoys it instead of him, uh, they both go to the same place. Now, obviously, he's giving this from a very humanistic perspective. All right? There, there's not a whole lot of New Testament thinking going on in this writing. So, and, and, and that's at some point where somebody wants to go to the end of the book, right? Because, oh, I live, you know, we're finally, good. but, you know, you go back to the end of chapter five, it's closer, right? It makes it easier for you um, that, that God's gifts and, and, and that for he will, uh, that person will not dwell, verse 20, will not dwell unduly on the, all the days of his life because God has kept him busy with the joy of his heart. Um, so, so do you agree with what this, you know, it's almost really this passage is almost from verses uh, three to six. It's almost saying that the uh, stillborn child is better off having never experienced the tragedies, the evil, the vanity of human existence. Who's better off? Because when I read this, it, it, it begs that question. And it is almost up to that person for them to have to figure out why. Because they have to learn how to own that. They have to learn how to own their own self-worth before God. I mean, they can hear it and hear it and hear it, and hopefully if they hear it, they start to internalize it, right? I'm talking about, like, they can hear it in the sermon, how much God loves you, right? And they can hear that over and over and over again, but, but, but there has to be something about the truths of God that has to be, and Paul talks about this in his letter to Timothy where he talks about the, the engrafted word of God that is able to save your souls. Talking about taking and essentially attaching it to your own being personalizing it, making it something that you own rather than just this abstract thought 
or some type of a religious dogma. It has to become real. And, and so I think, it, because I, I, I almost feel like the writer here is setting us up. Because if you just read it at face value, you know, you, 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 some people, they will. They'll read this at face value. They kind of freak out. That's why they don't like this book. But I think this book, this passage here is, is challenging us to start to ask hard questions. And make your belief, your faith, a little less safe. And in doing so, you make it a little deeper. It's a proverb. It, it just, and listening to you, they entered into my brain. Uh, and I, I was almost tempted to start pulling, trying to pull it up on my phone. But it is, it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It, it, I, I hate quoting passages that I don't know where they are because to me it's just lame, but I'm, I just did it. But um, if Greg was here, he'd look it up for me. He'd find it. But anyway, um, what does that mean? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. I reversed them. Let's go beyond that. Take it beyond the duty. Yeah, I want to just kill those. Um, thanks, thanks, Bill. Um, It is a duty, but a, a duty to whom? Is 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 the mentioning of a king an absolute in that passage, or is it is it is it it just happens to be the figure or the 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 person that God is using to illustrate the truth? I'm sorry. It could be a common person. Yeah. You've raised the bar. Yeah. Exactly. And and so it's one thing to study the Bible and I think studying the Bible is important. I mean that's what I do. I teach the Bible. And I think it's important that we learn the Bible. And that becomes the, the foundation or the script or the, the anchor of truth that we turn to in order to try to make some sense of things in our lives. I think that's part of what this passage is doing here is it's, it's, it's challenging us uh, calling us to try to make some sense of things that, quite frankly, don't make sense. So how do you make sense of things that don't make sense? That didn't make sense, did it? 
Sure did. What? A lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. They, you know, um, I did that with algebra. I hit the crossroads on that very early in my second master's program. And I've told you that story. I'm reading Plato's Republic. I've read two and a half pages. I don't remember a thing I read. I can't, t- I did, none of it even made sense. So I could have ignored it. <laughs> and I was paying some pretty good money to take that class, right? I could have ignored it or I had to stop and dig in deeper. Which also meant to do what I absolutely hate to do. You know this as a student. I hate to go back and reread, right? I don't even like to. I highlight, but I don't even like to read my highlighting. But what this is doing here is this is a this is a calling for us to really to give some greater thought into trying to understand or to come to terms with. That might be a better way to to describe it to be at peace with the unexplainable. And to rest in God is under control. Because in my opinion, your knowledge may vary on this one, but in my opinion, I still think it's better to have lived rather than to have been stillborn. That's my thought. Well, I, I tend to agree with you on that. A stillborn would go straight to heaven. But, okay, if that's the case, then why in the heck are any of us even here? Of course, we had to be here. Yet Jesus talked about those who would be beaten with many stripes and those who would be beaten with few stripes. For the, for the, that, then that's a good, he, see, he totally spiritualized this. But it's wisdom literature, so it's valid. It's a valid interpretation. And that could very well be this. This could all be, be a, a, a metaphor, an analogy to describe the spiritual life, especially if you include the back half of chapter 5 in this because you have a comparison between two men, right? And then the second one is compared with a stillborn child. So it, this is really written in, in, this in it's an invitation to make you think and to really spend some time asking God to teach you. Because you can start with this passage, and you can end up into something totally different. But it's something that could be totally different, guided divinely by the Holy Spirit, who wants to use this very difficult, contradictory uh, passage that, that really does not square up with a lot of the other passages in the Bible. It does with Job, right? It really does with Job. Again, Job said it had been better. He cursed the day that he was born. It had been better I had never been born. And perhaps he's reflecting here on Job um, as he's writing this. Now, it depends if you believe Job came later or earlier, but I don't want to get into that. <laughs> it is a, it's a huge reflection, possibly. But not every verse reflects upon every person. You know, but it, it nonetheless, it's like, 
because I think if we look again, the, the, the chapter five guy, or the end of the chapter five guy, we'll just call him that, we, we probably have been there. Uh, we might have felt like we are the beginning of the chapter six guy. And so I'm going to do a little bit of spiritual, different spiritualizing. This is a roller coaster. This is an emotional, going back to clinical depression, this is an emotional roller coaster. Our lives are like that. Are Christians supposed to be depressed? You can rejoice and still be depressed. I think in a world today, I almost don't understand a Christian who isn't depressed. That's just me. It's only half full. Somebody needs to drive him home. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's, it's great, Mike. Just keep going. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit this out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, it's, it, it's, and the funny thing about this, this is, this got Advent written all over it. I got some people's attention. Do you guys do Advent much when you were Presbyterians? Okay. It has Advent written all over it, right? You were Roman Catholic one time, right? So you're under, you're aware you, no, no, not you. Her, her. Okay, because yeah, her. it's okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'll have two of what I'm having. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know how to follow that one up, man. That was good, Larry. You trumped me. Um, <laughs> well, neither do I. Um, let me finish my thought. Then, then we, then we can completely. I'm going to have to add. I'm, I'm going to delete the whole thing. Anyway, um, Advent begins in darkness. Advent begins in, in cert, uncertainty. I'm, right, but you have to be in darkness to have hope. And, and so, you know, note one, stanza one, right? I'm talking musician stuff here to you, right? It's in darkness and despair. And... Um, I'm kicking, I've been kicking this passage around some the last couple days. But that's not the one I'm kicking around. <laughs> um, Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 21, they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. I find that to be fascinating. 
Then they will look to the earth and they will see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. That's, that's an Advent passage. That's Isaiah chapter 8, 21 through 22, verse 9. Excuse me, chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards more heavenly oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has uh, shined. And, of course, this is Isaiah chapter 9, where just a few verses later it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. So um, that's really the, the, the biblical framework of, of the whole Advent um, season.